The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome, Kristen Luck, to our podcast, Data Gurus. Welcome, Kristen. Time to welcome this week's data guru. Thanks, Dima. Thanks for having me. Sure. Chris and I have known each other for a long time, and it's great to have you on the podcast. You have your own growth strategy firm, specifically targeted to market research? Yeah. So I have a growth strategy practice called Luck Collective. I would say probably about 50% of my clients are in the market research vertical, and the other half are emerging brands and businesses that are looking to use data-driven strategies to supercharge their growth. That sounds cool. And also, you're the founder of Wire. I am the founder of Wire in all my spare time. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very little, I'm sure. Yes. Insert sarcasm here. (laughs) (laughs) And and tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about Wire, what inspired you to start the organization and where it is now. I started Wire, gosh, it's 11 years ago now, which seems hard to believe. It really came about quite organically. I had a colleague from the Bay Area to Los Angeles, and she and I were talking one day, and she said, gosh, you know, I just really don't know any women in this industry in Los Angeles. And I said, gosh, I, I know a ton of women here. I'm just going to call everyone I know and invite them to a cocktail hour. And we're all going to just get together. And we got together once and we had so much fun that we decided everybody that got invited, invite somebody you know, and we'll do this again every quarter. We did that in LA for a couple of years. And then one of the women in the group moved to New York. Okay. And said, hey, I want to start hosting these events in New York. And so she started hosting in New York. Then she moved to London and started hosting those events in London. (laughs) And then she moved to San Francisco. So I can say that our initial expansion was thanks to Cassandra Rowe. She kind of took us everywhere we went. And then, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I realized that this thing was not going to grow if I held on to it so tightly. So we started working with folks in local markets to help expand our event rate. And today we're in 21 markets globally. Yeah, we run about 40, over 40 events a year. And then we also collaborate with leading industry conferences like SMR, IEX, Insights Association, TMRE to host events for women that are connected to industry events. Fantastic. And how many women are actually part of the organization now? We have 7,000, over 7,000 women in the community now. That's so amazing. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I found it to be such a great source for connecting with other women and actually just feeling supported, regardless if we speak on on a regular basis, but just feeling supported. And anytime you run into somebody that you've, you know, talked to at WIRE, it's been a fantastic experience. Good. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the impetus behind expanding it was really, you know, I realized that in the in the early stages of my career, I worked almost exclusively with women. Mm-hmm. And now in the later stages of my career, you know, once I got an executive level position, I worked almost exclusively with men. And it was kind of an eye-opener for me. I kind of thought about why why is it that we have so many amazing women in this industry and they're just not making it to the senior levels of their careers? And how do we provide more, more examples of women in executive positions? And how do we show a path for women to get into those executive positions? The famous saying, you can't be what you can't see. And so part of what we're trying to do is illuminate women in executive positions and show a real clear path for women to get there. So, you know, women have an important voice in this industry and it needs to be recognized. 
And where do you think we are, Kristen, today in, in that in that vision? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're making progress. I mean, yes. the, the good news is we're making progress. We you know we run a we were very fortunate to partner with Lieberman Research Worldwide on a study that we did. Um, five years ago that looked at pay parity and gender differences in executive positions in the industry. And Lieberman very, very kindly donated their time again this last year. We ran a repeat of the study. Mm -hmm. So we looked at you five years ago and then, and then this last year. And we're definitely making progress, but the truth of the matter is we're not making progress fast enough. By, by the time women reach pay parity in this industry, I will be either long retired or dead. Oh, gosh. And that's just an unacceptable rate right. from my perspective. I totally agree with you. And how, how different is that pay parity to date? You know, it's significant. It's lower than the, I think the national average, I can't remember, it's, I think it's 70 cents to the dollar mm -hmm. nationally. I think it's, it's closer to 80 cents to the dollar for okay. women in research. So it's, you know, it's a measurable improvement for sure. And we've seen improvement in the last five years in the industry, but it, but it's just not enough. Yeah. And what needs to happen to, to kind of prevent, to kind of make that pay equality happen in a shorter time frame? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think it's a, a number of different things, and we, you know, I talked about this a little at SMR Congress last year when we had our when we had our session where we kind of looked at the, the results from that from that research. I mean, I think that there's a number of things companies can do. I mean, the first is really taking a look at at how you're paying people. Right. I think what's happening in the UK right now is really interesting. You know, they're required by law if you're a public company demonstrate to show that you have pay parity for women and men, which is amazing. Um, yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. And which is, you know, it's really illuminating. And I, there have been a couple of companies, you know, certainly called to the mat for, you know, not paying women and men the same, which, which is an eye opener, I think, for a lot of people. And sure. it's, it's been an eye opener in my own businesses in the past, for sure. You know, when I when I looked at it, I realized that, yeah, there were there were definitely differences. Well, it so, almost feels like the person, the employee has to advocate for themselves versus the sure. employer saying, am I being fair to all my employees? For sure. And th th so there's two sides of that coin. The first is businesses, you know, need to examine pay parity for sure. Sure. The second though, is that women need to ask for more money and that's really important. And it's something that I, I struggled with as a business owner myself, which is I would extend an offer to a woman. And as a business owner, of course, I want to get the best employee for sure. the least amount of money, right? as all business owners do. And what was really shocking to me is that in nearly every case, I would extend an offer to a woman and they would take the first offer mm -hmm. that I gave them. And in every case, I would have been willing to pay more. Right. Or would have been willing to give more. And I, I don't like this emphasis of telling women, oh, well, if you're not comfortable negotiating on salary, you negotiate for something else, you know, right. negotiate for more vacation time. I call bullshit on that. I agree you with need that. to get comfortable negotiate yep. for money. I know it's super uncomfortable. I hate doing it for myself. Yes. You know, we recently hired, hired a woman and she didn't negotiate on, on the offer. And I went back to her and said, I really want you in this position, but you need to negotiate. Like this is a coaching right. moment. Yes. <laughs> Ask me for more money. <laughs> you know, I, I will pay it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. I think there's instances, even in a you know vendor-client relationship, where you know I see a younger woman on the other side of the table, and I say you need to ask for more. Like, I'm just going to take a moment here and just say, you definitely need to be asking for more. Yeah. I, and I, I think there's also, it's interesting because we ran a workshop in WIRE a few years ago, a webinar series. And one of the questions that came up was like, well, I'm really afraid to ask for more money because I'm worried the offer is going to get rescinded. Hmm. And I thought, I mean, I mean, maybe this happens. I've never rescinded an offer because somebody's asked for money. I've certainly gotten to a point in the offer where I've said, like, this is as much as I can pay. And if it's not going to be enough, like, it's just not a fit. Right, right. I can tell you that's never once happened with a woman. <laughs> it's happened with a couple men. Sure. It's never happened with a woman. I've never had someone negotiate so much where there was such a big delta that I 
rescinded the offer inside. I just say it's, it's too far apart right now. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's never like a rescinded offer either. It's like, Hey, this is the most I can pay. Would you like to take the job for that or not? That's yeah. True. But I, I do think that there hasn't been enough focus on women really stepping up and asking for what they want. And I think that a lot of those conversations are really uncomfortable and we don't like having them, but we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I totally agree with that. And do you think it's just culturally in terms of how women are raised and, and how, to, how they communicate and, and advocate for themselves? Yeah, supposedly. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I was raised by my father, my aunt, sure. so I think I, I tend to take on more male traits and I'm super uncomfortable negotiating for money. Mm-hmm. I, I'm great at negotiating on other people's behalf. You sure. know, I'm great at negotiating on behalf of my businesses, but when myself, oh God, it feels right. so uncomfortable like asking for what I'm worth or really being insistent on being paid a certain amount. I think those are just uncomfortable conversations. And I don't know, I, I haven't actually had a conversation with any men to say, gosh, is this uncomfortable for you too? I, I don't know if men are more or less comfortable than women are, but I would like to think that it's that those are conversations that we're all capable of having regardless of gender. I agree. I agree. I mean, I do think that there's also challenges for women who leave the workforce for a little bit and come back and feel like, you know, I just want to get a job. I've been out of the workforce for so long, but that's always a fine balance for women who who leave for a while and come back. Have you worked with women who try to come back and try to, you know, what tips do you give them when they come back into the workforce? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think the focus on, you know, getting women to pay parity from a business standpoint and also for businesses to have more women in executive positions is to develop companies that understand the needs of working women and particularly working mothers and to have flexible work environments and to understand how to get women engaged and back into the workforce. Those are all really important components. And frankly, I like to think what's good for women is also good for men. Mm -hmm. Flexible work environments also benefit men. You know, if men can get paternity leave and can participate equally in childcare, then there wouldn't be so much emphasis and focus on having how to, you know, sort of bring women back into the workforce because it's a, I personally have not had children. So it's hard for me to to, to say, gosh, this is what the the Mm -hmm. female experience is coming back into the workplace. But I will say that, gosh, I look at the the woman that I work with on a day-to-day basis that have kids and I don't know how they do it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm barely keeping my, my life together and Mm -hmm. I have dogs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, which are a lot, I hear much lower maintenance than children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I think uh, one of the reasons I went into entrepreneurship was so for the fact that I could control my own time and still be a working parent. And, you know, it's just hard when there's cultures, and it's not a knock on any company, but when cultures don't fully realize, you know, the opportunities they could have for women to retain them through through that kind of early years of, of child rearing. And even yeah. men, quite frankly, I mean, I see more and more of a trend that men want to participate. It's not, the traditional models don't exist anymore. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I think I see, I see a lot of female business owners that do the same, some with, many with kids, but some without too, right. that just, you know, they go into entrepreneurship, they start their own thing because they're like, gosh, I just don't want to grind away and go into an office every day. I'd rather right. have a little more flexibility. But, and I also think that having more women in executive positions at these companies will help create the kind of work environments that are more friendly to working mothers. I totally agree. And I think our generation gets that. And I firmly believe in paving the way for uh, younger women and just kind of enabling and empowering them with confidence to be able to attain everything they so desire. Yeah. So let's talk about the conferences and women speaking at conferences. This is such a hot topic and it's an important one. And, you know, I think 
think that as we continue to get more balanced voices on stage, there's challenges in doing that in, in terms of getting women on stage and speaking and feeling confident. And, and in many ways, it's almost like that's another concerted effort in terms of building confidence and those skills. What, what's your perspective on that in terms of getting women on stage and speaking? Yeah, I think there's a couple different challenges. I mean, the first is getting women to submit, to mm -hmm. submit to speak. Yep. You know, well, I've sat on plenty of conference committees where we're trying to get a, you know, 50-50 gender split and we don't get 50-50 submissions. So women have to step up submit. And, and, and submit to speak and understand what that process looks like. And I want to give a shout out to Annie Pettit. She started the new research speakers yes. club where she's, you know, and bringing up the next round of um, yeah, research speakers because at some point everyone's going to get tired of seeing me on stage and hearing me speak and they want to see new voices. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get tired of hearing myself talk sometimes too. Uh, <laughs> so that, you know, that's part of it. But the second part is, and this is actually something that WIRES put forward to the industry associations, is really making a commitment to get gender parity. So there are a bunch of different ways to ensure gender parity on stage. It's for speaking slots, which are not selected by a jury or by through a submission process. So keynotes, for example, sure. keynotes are generally paid. These are speakers that are recruited in. So ensuring that you have a 50-50 split on that. And also, you know, one of the big challenges for a lot of conferences, which are pay to play, is that, you know, people are paying to speak. So part of that is having a conversation with the companies that are paying to speak and asking them to put forward female speakers. That's because the truth idea. of the matter, you know, in the, in the conference's defense, like they, somebody's paying, you know, $10,000 to speak. You don't really yeah. have any control over who they put forward. You can suggest it. Sure. Hopefully we can get companies to commit to that and, and to bring up female speakers, but you certainly can't require it. So there's different strategies depending on what type of speaking thought we're trying to fill in conference. But I, I do think like Annie Pettit's speaking tracker, which kind of tracks yes. industry conferences and looks at the gender parity. I think that's really accurate for some conferences and in some conferences it's not that representative because it is a pay-to-play scenario. Yeah, that's a really conference good point. Conference only has so much control over it. Right. Because the, the, the company that's paying gets to decide what they ultimately they want. They do. Yep, yeah, I totally they agree. Do. They do. And hopefully those companies, hey, if you're one of those companies, please put forward a female <laughs> And Kristen, why do you think the submissions aren't there? That's surprising to me. I think it's a couple different things. I mean, a lot, the submission process is a lot of work. I mean, you it know, is you've, a lot of work. you've submitted for yeah. conferences before. Um, and I think that lots of times that there's a research paper to be written. It's things that are just piled on top of your, Every your day. day to day. It's yeah. a lot of work and particularly for working mothers. Sure. Again, there's that additional load of childcare, yep. and, you know, competing demands. And I, I think women just don't put themselves forward as much. And I think part of it's a confidence issue too. I, I mean, I've coached a number of women who were like, well, I don't have anything special to contribute. I'm like, gosh, have you been to any of these conferences and yeah. some of the presentations? <laughs> Trust me, you have something yeah, special to contribute. Trust me, I will help you come up with that topic. Yeah, and I felt the same way, you know, when I first started presenting in the in the industry. I, said, I don't have anything special to say. And then I did. I went to a few conferences, and it was a big confidence booster for me. And I thought, gosh, you know, these people are talking about things I was doing five years ago, and they're talking about it like it's special. Yeah, so I, I think part of it is it's just getting used to, like, go to a conference sure. and see people speak and, you know, think about think about topics and ask for help. You know, right. I think I totally are not agree. great about asking for help yes. either. Annie Pettit and Melanie Courtright too have 
head of either operations or strategy at Research Now has right. openly said, I will help you put together conference submissions. Yep. And I guarantee you those women have not been taken up on those offers much. So don't be afraid to ask for help. That's a great point. That's a great point. So we're gearing up for Wire Exec next week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. And this year you actually, I think the mission was to submit somebody that we know or even somebody who's coming up into the ranks to join the summit. Yes. And and how's that turned out? What do you what do you anticipate? Do we have a lot of new people coming next week? We do, yeah. So just as some, some background for sure. folks that are listening that don't know what Wire Exec is. Wire Exec is our executive forum. It's for C-level and entrepreneur women in the industry. We have a, it's our one membership focused forum. So there's a membership fee to belong to because we want executive women to be contributing to the future of women in the industry. Small commitment that we ask for, yes. but annually we run a summit. So this is our third year running the summit. Started at Kicked It Off. I know you were the first one to see now when we ran it three yes. years ago. We had 10 women there. It was, it was our little experimental yes. run. Um, <laughs> this year we have 40. Fantastic. 40. And six of those women are what we're calling C-Track. So we've invited six women who are VP or director level roles okay. and are gunning to get into the C-suite. So awesome. they will be with us for three days, sitting with us side by side, eating meals with us. And yeah, getting, trying to get an understanding of what it takes to move into a C-suite position or start their own business and, sure. and also make those connections to help it happen. That's a lot of it. It's just yeah. having exposure to women in those roles. I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing is the power of networking, right? And it, it, yeah. both men and women, if I had to give advice to others, even within our, the companies that I work with is take the time to network, take the time to get to know people. And it's not just about a transactional relationship because as you know, you never know when you're going to run into somebody and where that opportunity just translates into something different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the for executive women, we get presented with a lot of opportunities and lots of opportunities to make referrals. And uh, so to have those women in, in your network and have yep. an understanding of where they want to go in their career, I think it's really, really helpful for them. Well, Kristen, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Did you want to share anything with listeners about something that you're working on or anything upcoming that you're excited about? I know you're excited about a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. But anything <laughs> you mentioned. Oh, we could be on this call all afternoon, Sina. <laughs> yes, yeah. I would agree. I would say two things. One for my growth strategy practice. I'm, I'm in the process of launching a subversion of my practice called the Growth Collective, which are group-focused masterminds for entrepreneurs and, awesome. and C-level folks for both men and women. So, Great. you know, if you're... If you can't swing for individual coaching or consulting, but want to give business advice in a small group environment. I'll be launching those. In, That's uh, fantastic. And, yeah. And then on the women in research front, I just want to give a shout out for our global scholarship fund. One of the missions that we have at WIRE is to bring up women either emerging, developing a conflict markets. And so we've annually uh, sponsored a scholarship in different markets. Last year was Cambodia. This year's Guatemala. Wow. You can find information for how to donate money to that scholarship on our website, but we are bringing up the next generation of women, not just in the US, but globally. That's fantastic. Kristen, thanks so much. And I'm sure we'll have you back on soon. And yeah, I'll thanks for having me. I'll see you next Always week. a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave. 
and be fearless.